Well, sisters and brothers, first of all, I am deeply appreciative of those of you who have fought the snow and the roads to get here this morning. And, uh, you know, it's hard to say. I had kind of an over-under as to that saying over-under reminds me of the Colts game yesterday, which um, should have bet the under on that. So, um, but it is good to be here with you this morning. So thank you for coming and being a part of this important day uh, where we do get to kick off this, our, our uh, new sermon series. Uh, but before we do that, just a couple of quick announcements that I want to let you know about. First of all, um, on Sunday, January 27th, so a couple weeks away, uh, we're going to have a congregational meeting uh, here um, from 5 to, it says 7.30, it's actually only 5 to about 7, so uh, we tell you 7.30 so that when we get out at 7, you guys are excited about that, so it's really only 5 to 7, uh, and what we will be doing during that time is we'll be eating, uh, we're going to meet in the gym, we've done this three out of the last four years, we meet in the gym and we get to know each other a little bit better, and then we come in here um, and we'll uh, sing a couple songs and then we'll hear a little bit more about the life of the church. So we'll get to hear from Ilya Morakovich, who is uh, our kind of newer-ish uh, youth pastor, and we'll be able to hear some more about our finances and how that's going. We're going to hear from Noah's Ark. Uh, and then also, I will kind of give a little bit of a state of the church, if you will, and I'm um, talking about that and, and a little bit about the property team. And I've told you, I've kind of kept you or let you know that they've been meeting over several months. This won't be a big final report. We won't be rolling anything out. I don't want to oversell and under-deliver, but I will be talking about some of the things that we've really been thinking about. And so uh, I hope and pray that you will be there. You can sign up either out in the gathering space or um, online. So I encourage you to do that. And then secondly, um, we do have someone who's filming over the next couple of weeks. One of the things that we've been focusing more and more on or thinking about are those who aren't yet here. This is what we've talked about when it comes to our property team, about thinking not just about those who are here, but those who aren't yet here. And of course, one of the greatest ways um, that people begin to hear about us in this day and age is through the website. And so we're going to be doing some filming that is just going to try to help people before they ever come here for the first time to kind of get a sense as to what they're going to expect or what they should expect when they come here on campus. And so I just wanted to let you know that, um, that that's the reason why we will be doing some of that. All right, so this morning we do get to kick off our series on building for God's kingdom. We'll talk about what that means, but in order to kind of dive into that, we're going to look at two texts. Text in Matthew and one in 1 Corinthians, pretty short. Uh, and so here is the one from Matthew. Jesus says this, Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 says this, Therefore, my beloved, that is not it. So just listen, therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Let me say that again, because you know that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let us pray. God, we gather this morning out of praise for you. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder of the snow, of how you make all things new. And we live now in the hope, Lord, 
that you will continue to make all things new until you return in all of your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So uh, I grew up, I was, and I continue to be a little brother. And when you're a little brother, you have one goal in life, and that is to annoy your older sibling. Right? So for me, it was an older sister, and man, it was so much fun and so easy to annoy her. I mean, it is a delight. In fact, I have to remember just how much fun it was whenever I get kind of, you know, tired of my own younger children who are kind of annoying their older siblings because I'm like, okay, I used to do this as well. And so, but it is, it really is, if, you, if you've not ever been a younger sibling, I would encourage you to try sometime because it really is a, a, a great joy. And, and one of the ways that I would oftentimes do this is by um, taking something that she wanted. Even if I didn't want it, I just took it, uh, and then I would run around with it. And this could be fun for minutes, it could be fun for hours, even days at times, uh, if you found just the right place to hide it. And, and so I would love, and I'd run around, and she'd be chasing after me. But of course, she was, you know, she was, she was bigger and stronger than I was at that stage of life. And so eventually she would catch me, and then we would both have it. Typically it was like a, an animal or something, and not a live animal. And then we would, we would, we would kind of play the tug of war, right? And she would try to grab it, and I'd try to grab it this way. And one of the things you learn uh, in, in Young Brother 101, which you take at about six months or eight months when you're a kid, is that when you feel like there's no way you can hold on to this much longer, you wait until the older sibling is pulling as hard as he or she can, and then you let go. Oh, that's good times. And they go rolling back. Hopefully they fall even better. They hurt themselves. And, and, and they may have won the battle, but you know you have won the war. And then you run, of course, because then they're very angry and they come after you. But it is, it's delightful. It really is. Now, just because I used to be a younger sibling doesn't mean I'm still not. And I have to admit, even now as a parent, there are times when I can feel some of that younger brother coming out in me. So sometimes I'll grab one of my kids' things, again, sometimes a stuffed animal, and I'll grab it, and they'll, they'll grab the other side, and we'll begin the tug of war. But this time, uh, because I love my children, this time, I don't let go of it. And the reason why I don't let go of it is because I know if you let go of it, it's kind of dangerous, right? And I don't want one of my girls, whom I love so dearly, to, to fall back and to hit her head on a coffee table or the ground or whatever else it may be. And so I tend to hold, I keep that tension going rather than letting go because I know that there's a real danger in letting go of that tension. Now, that's a really kind of long way to say this which is that I believe in much of life, including in our own spiritual journey, I think tension is remarkably important. And I also think that for many of us and many within the Christian world, they tend to be more comfortable at one of the extremes, at one of the poles, and not nearly as comfortable holding life and our spiritual journey in tension. But when you do so, when you allow that tension to be released, more often than not, you put your own spiritual journey in a bit of danger. Here's what I mean. Let's look at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. We know this, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus begins by first of all saying our Father. Now that's 
huge because what Jesus is saying is, hey, God is like our father, right? He's like our dad. In other places, they'll call him Abba Father, which is like daddy, which is this incredibly intimate wording, right? And, and, and we know, I know when I come home, right, after having worked or having shoveled for 12 hours a day before, maybe 10 minutes, but it felt like 12 hours, whatever it is, when you come home and they come running up to you, that's an amazing feeling, isn't it? And, and it reminds me when I was a child and when my father would get home and I would run up to him and it's that feeling that you know that you are loved, that you are cared for, that nothing could ever separate you from your father's embrace. It's incredibly intimate, right? But then Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, our father, and then go on. He says, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, Jesus is also pointing out that God is incredibly holy, that he's incredibly other, that he is the creator, that he's not just kind of, you know, dad, but that he also has to be held in high esteem. He has to be worshipped. Right, so we have this then, this remarkable tension, right? That that he is also he's one of grace, but he's also one of holiness, right? That he's that he's one who loves us always, but he's also about justice. And so we have to keep both of those in tension. And most of us are prone to lean towards one or the other. Right? Even if you look within the whole world realm of Christianity, you find these pockets, right? For some, you see people who, who only think of, of God as being distant, as the, as the one in heaven, right? And so that's the one who's like so far away. And what happens if that's all you think about is that then, well, you know, you can hardly talk to this God at all. And this God is probably distant and more than likely angry at you for some reason. And you can't really be in relationship with someone who's so far away, nonetheless be loved by or be forgiven by someone. And so when you only focus on that one as in heaven, it begins to skew your vision. But of course, if you only skew, if you, if you come only to the pole here of, of, of God as being kind of father or being dad, well, you know, it, it reminds me, I thought about this image here that you can see here. You guys probably know this. This is Buddy Christ or Buddy Jesus. You remember this? It's from a movie anyways. This is the, this is the guy, hey, he's just, he's just your guy. And he's never going to challenge you. He's never going to push you. He's never going to encourage you to live kind of a new life. He's just going to hang out with you. And most of us, we go for one extreme or the other. But what Jesus is saying from the very beginning is that we are called to hold these things in tension. Yes, God loves you and receives you as you are, but he never wants you to just simply stay that way. He loves you too much for that. Which reminds me then of what we talked about all during the fall, which was how can we be changed? How can we be shaped more like Jesus, right? Good, you guys. Yes. All right. How can we be shaped more like Jesus? And so we looked at 2 Corinthians. We had that, said that again and again and again, right? Our lives are becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters into them and we become more like Jesus. Him. So we, we talked about gentleness and patience and love. We talked about a lot of things. And, and, and most of that was about how can we, how can I personally be shaped differently? And that is good and right. But that's also one pole of things. Because not only as you read scripture do we hear about that, we also hear about the call for us to be concerned and to care about others, about the community around us. For God so loved not just me, but for God so loved the 
the world. And so we're called then to try to reflect the coming kingdom. We're not just called in order to make sure that I am okay. As someone has said, when the gospel reaches us and changes us, it then calls us to live into the larger kingdom project. And I think that's pretty important. And again, look around at Christianity and you see maybe in your own life people who go to one extreme or the other. For some, all they think about is their own interior lives. So they spend all their time asking, how am I connecting with Jesus? What's my personal relationship with Jesus? Which is good, but it's not everything. And then you have other segments of Christianity over here who are less comfortable with that. And so what do they? They talk about how can we do justice? How can we love mercy? How can we be about worldwide peace, right? All those things are good, but those things also aren't enough. And so what do we do? We have to hold those things in. We're going to have to have a lot of back and forth because there's only so many of you here today. So we have to hold all of those things into intention. Which is why, since we spent all fall talking about your personal self more than anything else, about how can we be shaped like Jesus, it's why in the spring, well, it's not spring, in the winter, I want us to talk about what does it look like to reflect God's coming kingdom in our community and in our world. Which, of course, begs the question, what exactly is the kingdom of God? And there are people who have written about this for years and millennia. And I'm not going to get into all of those things. But let me just tell you what we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at things like how God created the world. Uh, That's what he intended. We're going to look at kind of what Jesus did. Because when Jesus came into the world, it was the inbreaking of the new kingdom. And so the way he acted towards others, we hear or we understand more about the coming kingdom through that. And we'll even take a couple looks at some of books like Revelation or or some of Paul's writing when he talks about this is what's going to come. And so so we'll see these things like justice and and things like peace and, and how there will be no more suffering and how all the world will bow down to Jesus Christ. What will those things? What does that look like? That's what we're going to be talking about in the months to come. Now, the next question then is, if this is what the kingdom is going to look like, and if we know that by and large we're not yet there by any stretch of the imagination. I think in the new kingdom the Colts would have won yesterday, am I right? I I, I think the question then is this. What role do you and I play when it comes to helping to bring to fruition the Lord's Prayer, where it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What role do we play for helping the kingdom of the world look more like the kingdom of God? And this, it may surprise you here, there is yet one more tension when it comes to this. Because on one extreme, it is this, which is, This is up to God. Ultimately, it's only God can do this, right? And of course, that's very, very true. I mean, if God is the one who created the world, then it's only God who can redeem the world. If Jesus is the one who came, who died and was resurrected, none of us are being resurrected on our own, I can assure you. Then it is only Jesus that can genuinely bring salvation to people and to our world. So it's only God that can do that. But if that's true, then does that mean that we should just eat, drink, and be merry because there's nothing we can do? Well, perhaps, except for the fact 
that throughout Scripture, there's also a lot of calls for us to be a part of this. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly before our God. There's calls for us to feed the hungry, to care for the orphan. Why? Because in the new kingdom that is coming, there will not be an orphan. There will not be those who are hungry. And so we can participate in it. Or as 1 Corinthians 15 says, which I just said, which is this reminder, and I want you to hear this. That none of our labor, Paul says, none of our labor is in vain. In other words, yes, it is up to God. And yet, God calls us to participate in this new kingdom. So what does that actually look like? Well, as I've kind of wrestled with this, there's an image that N.T. Wright uses that's been really helpful to me. And in fact, it's why we have it on the image as you kind of come through the doors. You see it. You saw it before I started preaching of a cathedral. Here's what N.T. Wright says. Uh, We're not quite there yet, but you can just stare at the cathedral because it's beautiful. Here's what, anyone know what that is? Sagrada Familia. Very well done. All right, so here's, here's the cathedral. He says it's like this. He says it's very much like... Uh, it, it, you have an architect, and the architect knows exactly what this great cathedral is going to look like. There is no question in his mind he knows exactly what it's going to look like. And so what he does is he gets some stonemasons, and he says to the stonemasons, okay, I want you to go. You go to a quarry, and you find this particular stone because you're going to use it to build a turret. You go and do that. So the stonemason goes and does that. And, and, and then you have kind of a tile worker, if you will, a tile layer, and, and, and they're going to make these wonderful tiles. And, and, and the architect says, this is exactly how I want you to make this tile. And you, you go, and you find the right kind of tile, and you begin to kind of figure out how you're going to piece that together. And then he says, okay, you, carpenter, here's what I want you to do. You're going to make some beautiful beautiful pews, but you've got to go, you've got to find just the wood. And so he's at the wood shop and he's beginning to carve out this incredible pew. And Wright says that after that, when they're done and they've kind of done all their work, that they then bring it to the site. They don't actually put it where it's supposed to go, but they bring it to the site. And after they brought it to the site, the architect is also kind of a foreman says, okay, that's great. Thank you very much. I'm going to use this for this incredible cathedral. Now, None of those people, they don't don't know exactly what their pew, where it's going to go, what it's going to look like. They don't know where the turret's going to go. They don't know exactly how the floor is going to mesh with everything else. What they do know is that they have been doing something. They have been building something. But what Wright says, what they've been doing is they haven't actually been building the cathedral, but they have been building for the cathedral. And then they give it to the architect, and the architect then shapes it into a beautiful cathedral. And what Wright says is, this is exactly like the kingdom of God. You see that we're not actually building the kingdom of God, but we are building for the coming kingdom. And we don't know exactly how these little things that we're doing, we don't know exactly how they are going to work overall in the greater kingdom, but what we trust is that the architect knows exactly what he is doing. Now, you may be wondering, why is it important for us to look at it like that? I would say for a couple of reasons. First of all, I, I think it's important to know um, that, that, that we do have a role to play. That we can't just kind of sit back and do nothing. We have a role to play, and we trust in the architect. But secondly, one of the things I've noticed is that when you think you're actually building the kingdom, I see this from time to time, 
it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on you. If you think this is up to you, and I was just meeting with an elder, not from our congregation, of course, because they would never say anything like this. But what he said, this was just a few days ago, he said, well, it's basically up to us to make an impact for the kingdom, so we, let's do this. And while I was like, well, I understand what you're saying, the reality is, if it's up to you, if it's up to me, we are in trouble. Because that's a tremendous amount of pressure. And every time you go out and do something, you better, you better make it big and you better succeed or you are, this whole world is going to just burn, right? But when you understand that it's everything that you are beginning to do and you don't know what it's going to look like, you don't know how it's going to turn out, it is, it is remarkably freeing that even the most mundane of things can actually be used in remarkable ways for the coming kingdom of God. Several, a uh, couple years ago now, I was in Barcelona uh, looking at some of the ministry that we do. Some of you know that I was there. And when we were there, we got to go see, boom, there it is, the Sagrada Familia. Now, I wasn't all that excited about seeing the Sagrada Familia. I had seen a 60 Minutes episode on I knew it. It was going to take like 200 years or something like that. I mean, a, a tremendous amount of time to actually build this thing. It's supposed to be done in the next decade, which is great. And it was done by Gaudi. And, and quite frankly, I always think, you know, Gaudi, uh, his work looks a little bit more like something you'd find in the Cheesecake Factory. I mean, it just looks like the Cheesecake Factory to me. Does anyone else ever thought? Okay. So anyway, so I, I wasn't all that excited about seeing this cathedral. But then once you kind of look at it and you see it like this, there is something that kind of draws you in. And then you kind of move into the interior and you begin to see kind of the lights that's kind of filtering through. I mean, you, kind of, you, you, you can see that as you come up and as you continue to look, there's another one here. I mean, look at that. Just hold there for a sec if you can. And, and, and it's just kind of majestic. And, and not only that, it's actually very theologically rich. Like, like most great cathedrals, it tells a story. And, 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 and it just kind of causes your, your heart to soar, if you will. And, and right before you go in, as you look at the exterior from the outside, you can kind of see they have these facades that are also telling remarkable stories. This next one is of the nativity. You can see there's Mary and the donkey, Joseph and the angel. And then you can see the wise men uh, all on the outside. And then you have the shepherds. And it's really, uh, it's just an absolutely remarkable cathedral. And about several weeks ago now, I was listening to a Rick Steves podcast, and I was listening to it, and they had kind of a Gaudi expert or a Sagrada Familia expert, I don't recall. But he was talking about some of the animals that are on those outside facades. And you can see the animals here. You've got a donkey, you've got a goose, you've got a dog, and you've got a sheep. And they're remarkably lifelike. And, and what this guy was doing is he, he was telling us about how did Gaudi get it so lifelike. Here's what he did. He would take a plaster mold and he would put it around an actual living creature. And then he would break the mold, right? Now, I want you to know, because I know some of you are concerned, as far as I know, there were no animals that were harmed in the making of the Sagrada Familia. Apparently, they could survive. The donkey, they actually had to lift up in the air because he was too restless. Um, I mean, who can blame the donkey for that? But they did that. And so he was talking about the goose more, uh, more distinctly. He was talking about that particular goose right there. And so what he says was, yeah, that they would bring that goose in, of course, and then they would put a plastic mold around them, do all that. So as he was sitting there, as I was listening to this, I was listening as I run, as I run that's what I tend to do. 
I began to think, because this is just kind of how my mind works, I began to think about the guy, uh, and maybe it wasn't a guy, who knows, but I just had this image in my head, let's call him Junior, who knows, who had to, who had to catch the goose. You ever thought about that? No. So, so think about it. I mean, there you are, and, and all of a sudden someone comes and says, hey, Junior, like, yeah, what? Hey, Gowdy wants a goose. What's a goose? Yeah, go get a goose. I don't know. It's something for something he's doing. Just get the goose. And you're like, oh, I can't believe this. So then you have to run because most geese don't want you to catch them, at least as far as I know. And so you run and you, you, you're trying to chase after. And you imagine you're chasing after. And so what are you stepping in when you're chasing after goose? Can you say goose poop? Yeah, goose poop, right? And so he's, he's running after, he's singing, and he finally catches it, and the and thing's flapping, and it's trying to attack you. And you're like, oh, my goodness. And you're thinking, you know, as you're bringing this in, you're like, oh, what am I doing with my life? Right? I had such high hopes. I was going to be really great. And now here I am, and I'm holding this goose, and I'm bringing him in. And then they cover him up with this plastic molding or whatnot, and then, and then they break it out, and, and then you have to take that goose back. Do you think that goose is going to be in a good mood? And so you have to take that goose back and you have to put it back and you just think about Junior and you think about it, he's got to be thinking, what am I doing with my life? How does this matter? Except for this. Because he caught that goose, it was able to be used for this particular mold. And because he used it for this mold, it could then begin to be used in this greater facade. And because it could be used for that greater facade, it could be used to make this cathedral. Can you imagine when he is redeemed, when he is resurrected, Junior, and the goose perhaps, and they come back and all of a sudden he begins to realize that on this particular day when he did something that he thought didn't matter in the least bit, and now all of a sudden it is being used for this remarkable cathedral? How incredible is that? See, I think this is exactly what happens when it comes to the coming kingdom of God is that so very often we may be doing things that nobody notices, that may not smell all that great, that may be a mess, and we may have no idea how it's going to be used, and yet remarkably so. God takes those things that we do and begins to use it for his coming kingdom. Here's what N.T. Wright says. I don't have it up there because I want you to just hear it. He says, every act of love, gratitude and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter, goose man, one's fellow non-human creatures, and of course every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, Every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. Everything that you do for the glory of God 
We don't know how, we don't have to know how, but somehow, some way, those things are building for God's kingdom. And I want you to remember that as we go through this particular series. Because so often our propensity is going to be that if we do this, we better make a big splash, we better do these big things. And what I want you to know is that 99% of what you are doing for building for God's kingdom, no one else may ever see and you may never fully experience how it is building up for God's coming kingdom. But it is doing so. Your labor is not in vain. Six months ago now, maybe seven months ago in June, we told you all that we were going to uh, give away half of our surplus. Around 25,000 of that, as, as you know, went towards a retreat center in Syria. We thought this was kind of a powerful thing to be able to give to them, this kind of sense of, you know, of a people who have been in war-torn area, to have a place, an oasis of peace, of hope, a place where they could, you know, uh, where they could rest, a place where they could learn more about Christ uh, and about one another. And so we were excited about that. And one of the things I've been wanting to do as much as possible, I showed you a video a few weeks ago or a few months ago now, I wanted you to see some other pictures. I just got these, these week, this week, so I want you to see this is in Syria, and we can just kind of run through these, and you can kind of see that there's actually work that is being done, right? You see some kind of walls going up. I don't really know what this is, but um, it is from Syria, I hear. And so you see these different walls that are going up, and then uh, I think we have one more, and then we have a video, and I just want you to kind of see this video that, that, is, that is, I was going to say is live. This is not live, but go ahead. Let's watch this video. So here we are in Zionsville, Indiana, in central Indiana. And what we are beginning to do when we gave that money was to begin to build for God's kingdom. Now, most of us know all that. What you may not know is that on that first Sunday of June, which was the first Sunday of our fiscal year, when I told you all that, after worship, I went out into the gathering space. And there was a guy who was out there and he came up to me and we began to talk. And he said, he said I, I want you to know, he said, I, I've just been coming here for a few weeks now. He said, but last week was the first week that I ever gave any money to ZPC. And I thought, well, I mean, that's great. You know, wonderful. How delighted. But I could tell that he was really excited about something. And I wasn't entirely sure what he was excited about. But I mean, I was if you're giving, I'm excited about that. But I said, great. And then he said, you know what that means? What? That means a part of my money went to build that retreat center in Syria. And I said, you are absolutely right. And what I love about that is that it is this image, this reality that you never know. When you begin to act in ways of the kingdom whether it's listening to somebody who needs to be listened to, whether it's protecting someone who's being taken advantage of, whether it's inviting someone into a relationship with Jesus or to simply worship, whether it is an act of generosity, whenever you do those kinds of things, you never know 
how God is going to use that to build his kingdom. And so my hope and my prayer, brothers and sisters in Christ, is over these next several weeks as we begin to do these things, that rather than thinking, what's this big impact that I have to do? How can I make this massive impact? I hope that you will begin to reflect on what it is that you are doing right now. How is the way that you are caring for your loved ones, the ways that you are reaching out to others, the way that you're being generous, to, remit, to remember that all of those things done to the glory of God can begin to reflect God's coming kingdom and can build for that kingdom. We may not know. We may not know like that goose man until we are resurrected and we begin to see how the great architect has used these things that we thought nobody had even noticed to build this remarkable cathedral, God's coming kingdom. Amen.